0: Good morning to all of us, the men of God. You know, it is my privilege to be here to speak to you as my fellow men, because uh, in the eyes of history, men have always been the heroes of the next generation. So can you please turn to the person beside you and just say, you are the hero of the next generation. We tend to look at ourselves most of the time only as individuals, but in the eyes of our Creator, He looks at every man generationally. In every man, God sees the future generations being prepared in your life. We carry within ourselves as men the seeds of the kind of character and values that generations to come will be influenced with and that is why this morning i challenge you to see yourself that way you are more than just an individual you are an influencer of the next generation and generations to come i'm sure all of you know uh, kiko pangilinan right and of course antony pangilinan they have a brother who is not very well-known in the world of celebrities because he is a businessman. His name is Joseph Pangilinan. Joseph Pangilinan was the first Filipino to receive a very prestigious international award in 1995, which is called the World Young Achievers Award. This was awarded in London, England. And many believe the reason why he won the award is because of an answer to an interview question that was asked from him. And this was the interview question. Mr. Pangilinan, you are a very successful businessman at such a young age. We would like to know, how are you able to balance your time between your business and your family? He was then the president of Manila Pearl Company, a furniture company in Manila. And so to that question, Joseph Pangilinan gave a reply without hesitation, he said, no amount of success in business can compensate for failure in the home. For some seconds, the audience was silent and then it was followed by an uproar of applause. That night, he was granted the World Young Business Achievers Award. One of the judges who sat that night went after him at the backstage to shake his hand personally. And when he shook Joseph's hand, he said, If I only knew the principle that you shared in the interview many years ago, I would never have lost my family. I congratulate you. You know where you stand. As men, we struggle with so many things in our lives we struggle with temptation. We struggle with our hunger for significance. And because of not many times we are successful, we struggle a lot with failure. In fact, today, there are so many men in our society, and that includes all of us here, who are going through our own woundedness in many areas of our life. Many of us are struggling with our marriage. And sometimes we ask, How do I deal with a domineering wife? I don't know if that is your problem. Okay? How do I deal with a son who is now a drug addict? How do I deal with a son who has become a homosexual? How do I deal with my financial problems? And many times we get discouraged. And in our moments of discouragement, the door is open to many ways of finding an outlet. And that is where temptation strikes the strongest. We are too sensitive to failure as men. But this morning, we will begin to understand what is it that was built into us that because of wrong concepts about manhood in our culture, those potentials that was built into our lives are not being fully realized so that we become the kind of men who are able to make a difference in our homes, in the way, in our business community, in our school, in our community. God has put in us tremendous potentials to advance society and civilization in fulfillment of God's purpose for human life. Let me share with you a short story about an eaglet. The story is told that in the U.S., Colorado Springs, this is not a true story, it's fiction. But it is spoken in order to illustrate an important truth. The story starts with a nest of eagle's eggs in a very high place. And then one day, strong winds in the place shook the tree where it was nested, and then one of the eggs lost balance and began to fall many meters, many meters down the tree, cushioned by the branches of the trees, and finally it landed on the ground, still intact. It started to roll, and finally found its place in a pile of chicken eggs. Okay. And of course, the time came when the eggs started to hatch. The egg, the eaglet egg was just bigger than the chicken eggs. And so when they all hatched, The iglet thought that the mother hen was its mom. And it began to follow the behavior of the other chicken. And so it began to walk like a chicken, sound like a chicken, and eat like a chicken. And there was a time when he began to notice that his wings are bigger than those of his siblings. And so one day he started to experiment with his wings. And then when the mother hen saw what this uh, thought son was doing, he said, what are you doing? Oh, I'm trying to fly. And the mother hen said, my dear son, chicken don't fly. Yes, they fly like this, and then whoop, but they don't fly. OK? And so this uh, egglet said, oh, I'm just chicken. And then one day, while they were looking for food in the field, this little eaglet looked up and was just awed by a big bird that he saw flying very high in the sky. And he was just uh, amazed that this big bird can soar in the sky without flapping its wings. And so it was so, you know, amazed by this bird, every day he would go there just to watch this bird in the sky. And then one day, this bird started to spiral downwards. And uh, soon enough, the eaglet realized that this big bird was going in his direction. And so he realized, I'm in trouble. And so he started to run like a chicken. But the big bird was able to land ahead of him in front of his tracks and stopped him. And so this little eaglet said, Please don't eat me. I'm just a chicken. And this big bird said, No, you're not. You are my son. I've been looking for you. You are my son. No, I'm not your son. I'm just chicken. You're something else. No, you are not chicken. You are an eagle. And I said, and The eaglet said, No, that's impossible. That's impossible. Mama said, chicken don't fly, chicken don't fly. And then the big bird said, spread your wings. And instinctively, this eagle started to spread its wings because it has been longing to do that for a long time. I want you to flap your wings so hard. said, sorry, I'm chicken, chicken don't fly. Stop talking and just follow what I'm saying. And so, started to flap hard and then, it started to mount and then the eagle started to say, follow me. started to fly higher. It began to realize, I'm flying. And by the time they were high in the sky, the, the big eagle said, I want you to steady your wings and don't move. And he did it and he started to soar and it dawned on him the biggest discovery of his life when he said i am an eagle i am an eagle and in the following weeks he was able to unleash the full potential of his nature and soon became master of the skies you like that story that is your story as a man We have been made to believe that we cannot accomplish much because the kind of upbringing we experience in the Filipino family sometimes is not very encouraging, right? When we were still young boys, we were made to believe sometimes that we are hard-headed or sometimes you're good for nothing or sometimes we are made to believe that once you make a mistake, I mean, you're done for, right? We love our parents, amen? but they all can also be wrong at times, right? And we began to think that maybe I cannot do this. Experiences of failure in the past sometimes may make us believe that just because I failed, I can never do this. I can never be this kind of person because I failed. How many of you have experienced failure that made you believe you just can't do it? Can you raise your hands, please? Okay, now look around. You'll notice that's almost everybody. That is one thing we have, we share in common as men, right? That's why you're in the right place this morning. Because everybody around you can understand you as a man because all of us have common struggles, issues, and hurts, and disappointments as men, right? But this day, we want to discover who we really are from the point of view of the Creator of Humanity. Only the one who made us knows what we were designed for. Only our maker can define what we are because he knows what he put into us. Are you excited to know who you really are? Amen? Amen? Can you say to the person beside you, I am an eagle that is just about to be discovered. Okay. Now let's turn to our Discussion this morning What is a man? As Filipinos, we have been reared up In a concept of manhood That has proven to be Damaging to our culture And I'm talking about The popular version Of the machismo Ideal Right? Macho, right? Pakisabing, ako'y macho Ano <laughs> much you know it three centuries of Spanish influence in our history has somehow conditioned our understanding of manhood in a way that was not intended by the original machismo ideal let me share this with you you know machismo sorry as practiced by the upper classes in Spanish, Latin American, and Mexican cultures, embodies the noble virtues of integrity. That's why we have the saying in, in Spanish in our language, palabra de honor. Okay, right? You remember that? Palabra de honor. That's Spanish influence, and it's a positive influence in our culture. Also, love for family. It's a good reinforcement of our pre-Hispanic culture where love for family has always been part of our culture, expressed in the man's role as the provider and protector of his family in the face of all odds. We will never allow anyone to step on our family and our family honor. That is the Spanish influence, which is the machismo as practiced by the upper classes. He's the protector of the family in the face of all odds and on on the duty of a macho to train and discipline his children to be morally upright, courteous, honest, and hardworking. I don't know if you can still remember, and maybe I can ask those who are senior citizens among us today, do you remember these values in the past? Yes, Yes, we still remember at least palabradi anon or word of honor, we remember delicadeza or social propriety where you are not supposed to behave or do anything in public that may put your name and your family to embarrassment. Okay? And we have the terms amor propio or self-love by which you maintain your good reputation by being a man of your word and by learning to practice delicadeza in your connections or relationships with people, right? Those were the noble values of machismo as it originated from the Spanish, Latin American, and Mexican cultures. But we have a problem. The problem is that the popular or street version of this male ideal as generally now practiced in our culture focuses on an exaggerated display of masculinity and virility expressed in male aggression and alcoholism and domestic and sexual domination of females. This is the negative side of the machismo ideal that became very popular in our Filipino culture. You see, macho is somebody who will never allow anybody to hurt his ego without getting a knockout. And if you, if you fail to defend your bruised ego, You are called a Bayot or Bakla. You remember that? I was still a student. I was bullied from elementary to high school. How many of you were bullied before? Thank God, I'm not alone. I was bullied from elementary to high school. And I did not have the guts to fight for myself. I just allowed them to hit me and hit me, kick me, make me a punching bag, you know, from their karate lessons. Why, because I had such a low view of myself, because I grew up in a family where I was all cursed almost every day by one of my parents. And so I had little appreciation for myself as a man. Okay, and so, but a time came in high school, I had had enough, in fact I was elementary, I was a LaSalle student then, And in Nassau, this bully will always be there every afternoon to watch for me. But one day, I had enough. I was so angry. And I started attacking him and hit him so strong that he fell on the ground and broke his jaw. He was rushed to the hospital. And uh, my family and my parents had to apologize to the parents. Of my classmate, and later on, I had to apologize for my classmate because of what I did. But did I tell them that your son has been bullying me all the time? I didn't say that because they won't believe me anyway. That's the problem when you're bullied, right? When I was in high school, I had the same experience. I was bullied, and only I was so enraged. Enough is enough. I went up, I started hitting him so hard, he could not stand up from the ground. And then later on, he avoided me like a virus. Many of us struggle with our longing to be recognized, right? For who we are. But machismo teaches us, you have to fight for your ego or you're not a man. Even sometimes sacrificing, Uh, personal safety and the security of your family, there is a difference between courage and recklessness. There is a thin line that divides real courage and recklessness. You don't always have to defend your hurt ego when you know it will only bring further damage to you and even to your family, or even to your reputation. But that is what machismo makes us to believe. If I don't fight back, I am bayut. I am bakla, I am a homosexual. Okay? And also if you remember that as men, you know, we should always exude, you know, an image that we are strong. That's why men don't weep, right? We're not supposed to cry. And some of you have grown up in families when you cry your dad says, Men, don't cry. Don't you cry. How many of you experienced that? Bawal umiyak Okay. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to that understanding, must be less than a man because at the tomb of Lazarus, he wept out of compassion. Do you understand that? Real men, nowhere to shed tears when it comes to compassion for other people. The other side is, but that's machismo. And machismo teaches us, you should not be forgiving. No forgiveness. No mercy. Again, that's machismo. Okay? And machismo also tends to display itself by being, you know, a, a man who... drinks the inumen inumen ng tunay na lalaki, okay? I'm not making uh, a scene for the beer companies here. But I'm saying that that is quite not the best measurement of our manhood. Because of the damage that brings to our health and also to our family and marriage relationships, right? Okay? But that is part of machismo. Right? And as Matthews, We are made to believe that you prove you're a man by how many women you impregnate. The more women, the more macho you are. And so, there will always be a struggle with marital fidelity. We are often made to believe that men are by nature polygamous. That's a machismo idea. Okay? How many of you believe in that? We are, by nature, polygamous. Okay? These are the things we grow up with. And I cannot blame any person who grew up with that idea because we had no alternative understanding or concept of what it means to be a man. Did, our, did my father teach me what it means to be a real man? No. He was too busy with his job. Right? And who taught us that being, you know, uh, sexually active is what makes you a man. Where do we get that? Barkada and also of course society. Through the media, especially the movie industry, right? Okay. But are these accurate concepts of real manhood or are these concepts that simply are portrayed by the media and advertising advertising industry in order to get a lot of money from us? The important thing is this, what it means to be a man. The social effects of this machismo idea has been very damaging to our culture. This popular concept of manhood has contributed to most of our social problems. Domestic abuse, broken marriages, dysfunctional homes. And because many children come from dysfunctional homes, broken marriages, they go into early promiscuity as young girls and young men so young have teenage pregnancy producing single moms the escalating population of a fatherless generation drug addiction comes after that and then juvenile delinquency so many of our social problems are rooted in a false concept of manhood do you agree? if you feel you are guilty of any of this, please it is no offense. I just want us to understand where we are coming from. All of us grew up without a clear understanding of what Melody is because we did not know any better. That's all we knew from the culture from which we were brought up. That is why the next generation and future generations are already endangered by these social damages that, if left unchanged, will continue to jeopardize our nation's future because these practices are transmitted and inherited generationally. I don't know if you have noticed this. If there is a broken home in one family, you will notice in the next succeeding generations, you can expect broken homes taking place. The sad thing is that whatever we men do in the face of our children, influences them. Whether they like us for what we do or hate us for what we do, that hatred, that bitterness in their hearts begins to condition them when they grow up to repeat the same mistakes that we have committed as fathers. Because of the hatred they have, they develop a psychological fixation on the things that have hurt them, so that it begins to influence their behavior. You understand this? So can you say to the person beside you, whatever, however we live, it will affect generations to come. Okay? That's why we need to save the family. A nation's character is simply a reflection of the character of its home. Can you agree with that thesis? Yes. Any kind of behavior you see in any sector in human society simply reflects the behavior that has been molded in the homes. Reinforced by social influences, right? And not only that, to save future generations and the nation's future We must focus on saving the family do you agree do you agree and can you say to the person beside you it is upon us as men to save the family okay saving the family begins with the restoration of men us the head of the homes to our god-given calling and purpose we were designed to be godly leaders in our homes in the first place as well as models mentors and mothers of the next generation because whether we like it or not the kind of values and character that we exhibit as fathers of our children will inevitably affect the values and the character of the next generation and generations to come. I've often said this, tomorrow's tragedies are often sown into the soil of today's negligences and abuses. The compromise of one generation will corrupt the next one. The compromises of one generation will corrupt the next one, and the next one, and the next one, its generational. The history of our country has demonstrated that such social damages indeed have been transmitted from generation to generation to generation, until we today as men say, it ends with me. Can you say that together? It ends. <laughs> with me. Beginning today." They understand that. The future of our children's children and the future of our nation depends on our conduct today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian was imprisoned by Hitler because of his association with an assassination plot against the dictator, wrote many memoirs from prison. And one of those that he wrote was this the righteous man lives for the next generation let me repeat what he wrote the righteous man lives for the next generation that if i pursue righteousness as a man and as a father i am doing that for the sake of the next generation how many of have heard of peter wallace of the makati business forum anybody are Peter Wallace started a forum in Makati called the Wallace Business Forum. He is a, a very uh, wise uh, a business leader. Was able to help a lot of businessmen by providing him practical advice on how to deal with challenges in the corporate uh, field. He was interviewed many years ago regarding the future prospects of the Philippines given the present conditions of our society? And to that question, Peter Wallace replied, It's too late for this generation. But cannot we start with the next one? We need to mold the next generation to be a socially responsible generation? And isn't that the job of the Christian church? That's Peter Wallace of Makati. There are certain points of statements that I agree, but some points, I tend to beg to disagree. I do not say it's too late for our generation. Can you say yes to that? Yes. I do not say it's too late for our generation because if you are looking to the next generation, what will influence the the molding of their character and values will depend on the role models that they see in our generation. Young people always look up to role models because they are in search of their identity. And until they find their identity, they tend to draw the identity from heroes that they believe in. And they begin to copycat the values and the behavior of the people they admire. They understand this if as men, we cannot provide the right model for our children, we are opening the door for them to find the wrong models outside of the home. And that will bring damage to their lives and their futures. You understand the problem that we have? That's why, if it's too late for our generation, then it's too late for the next generation. Because they will always look for wrong models. And we say today, it's not too late for our generation because I am going to make a difference for the next generation. Are you willing? Okay. Secondly, when he said, isn't that the job of the Christian church? I say it's the job of every father. Do you agree? It's the job of every father to mold A socially responsible next generation and you say to the person beside you that's you and me that's why we're here amen but where do we begin we begin in the beginning right there is no beginning except in the beginning when God created man, the male species. Only God who created us can define the true meaning of our manhood. It's like when you're giving a high technology robotic toy. Now, if you don't follow the manual of instructions and try to experiment on this high-tech robotic toy, you may end up damaging it or hurting yourself, right? We you must learn to trust the design of the designer and listen to the designer how to make this thing work to the best of its potentials, right? For us as men to understand how we can operate to the full capacity and potential that God built into us, we need to know the design. Okay? Can you say to the person beside you, I want to know how I was designed? Okay? He has revealed his unique purpose and design for man through the Bible that once understood and exercised can transform our lives as men, turn us from chicken into eagles. They can transform our lives as men and make us the real hope our family and our nation desperately needs. How many of you are so sick with all the political and economic problems of our nation? Can you please raise your hands, please? Thank God. How many of you are so desperate about these problems that you believe something has to be done? Okay. You are the answer to that quest. You are the person who can make the biggest difference in the history of the Philippines. Because we were entrusted by God Almighty, the tremendous privilege and responsibility to shape generations to come. In God's promise to Abraham, in Genesis 18 God said shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do he was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of its wickedness for he will become a great and powerful nation and all nations on the earth will be blessed through him for I have chosen him so that he will instruct his children and his household after him to do the way of the Lord To do righteousness and justice so that the promise i have given him will be fulfilled so what is god saying the promise for abraham to become a great and powerful nation is conditioned on his calling his faithfulness to his calling and responsibility to mentor the next generation well in the ways of the lord only then can god guarantee that future generations will be qualified by God to become a great and powerful nation. In other words, the foundation of the building of a godly nation rests on the father-son relationship. Because God doesn't look at the father individually, He almost looks at the Father generationally. You understand this? Okay? That is why we need to be aware that we are, as we respond to God, the only hope that this country is looking for next. To God. God uses people to change history. And can you say today, I'm willing to be one of them. Let it start with me. Okay? In the Bible we find a verse that in my study appropriately summarized in just one sentence The essential design and purpose that God has for every man. Okay? And let me read to you Micah 6.8. He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you as a man. That you act justly, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly with your God. Now, there are three important elements to this description of God's requirements of men. Number one, he said, to act justly, the Hebrew original of this verse points to developing the habit of doing what is morally right in relationships with other men. It is preserving moral excellence because we are obedient to the standards of god almighty that we are supposed to obey and therefore the modern world word that will translate the meaning of this qualification is today's word integrity integrity is consistency between what i say and what i do integrity is consistency between my convictions and my conduct, between what I believe and how I live, between promises and performance of these promises. In other words, integrity means that our word is our bond. Wow, that's a challenge, right? Our word is our bond. That whatever we teach other people or teach children, and as pastors who are here, whatever we teach our congregations, be sure that they can see that in our lives. That is integrity. Okay? Integrity, as somebody defined, is doing what is right even when no one is looking. Okay? So, integrity. The second, to love mercy, keseth in Hebrew, here is the idea of being faithful to your relationships with your fellow man, regardless of offenses. Being faithful in showing good to your fellow man, regardless of offenses. It is faithful love, unconditional kindness expressed to your fellow man. So the word compassion carries the idea of being true. To helping those who are in need and being true to your commitments in order to serve other people. It is putting others above ourselves. It is service without personal agenda. It is serving others out of a genuine desire to show love without any thought of return. That is what it means. Compassion. Right? Right? We struggle today with uh, corruption, right? In almost all sectors of our society. This is the antidote to corruption. The choice that I will serve without any thought of personal gain when it comes to serving others. Imagine if every leader in our nation exudes this quality, the poor, Poverty will be alleviated in our country. And there will be a decrease of oppression when compassion is in the hearts of men. And thirdly, God's word says, to walk humbly with your God. Integrity and compassion are very difficult to build and sustain without a real relationship with God because the given is that our human nature tends to operate in the opposite direction of these two qualities, integrity and compassion. Our human selfishness prevents us from truly being true to what we say, and it prevents us from really serving others selflessly. And therefore, without the right relationship with God, it's very difficult to attain to the true meaning and calling of what it means to be a man. You understand this? Okay? Let me go through this one by one. We will begin with the last, spirituality. To walk humbly with your God or our spiritual responsibility. In the beginning, God created the man before he created the woman. Can you say to the person beside you, man, the male, is very special. God started the world with a man. The woman will be created sometime later, but he always begins with a man. When God created the man, There were three things that God gave to the man before he created the woman. The first thing, he was given a privilege of intimate relationship with God. That is the very first thing that God gave to the man. God created man according to Genesis 2 from the dust of the earth. In the Bible, dust signifies worthlessness. That is why when the serpent Left to them, God said, you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will humiliate you and bring you to nothing. You understand that? Dust represents insignificance significance of worthlessness. God, by creating man from the dust, is reminding all of us that left to ourselves as men, we do not have significance in ourselves. Our significance is drawn from the fact that we were created in the image of God is our significance. That as we reflect the character of God, then that affirms our significance as men. Because for that, we were created. And so from the dust of the earth, God creates man outside in the field. And then according to verse 8 um, of Genesis 2, He takes the man from the field that He created and puts him in his private garden, which is the garden of Eden. In ancient times, kings have private gardens and the private garden of a king was a special place of intimate relationship with his wife or wives and most intimate friends. Nobody can enter into the king's garden without the king's invitation because if you try to get into the king's garden without his invitation, you will lose your head. That is a very private place of a king. Kingdom of as a private garden is becoming one of the wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. That is his private garden. You see, God takes the man out of the field from dust and puts him in his garden because God wanted to fellowship with the man first before anything else. We were created primarily for relationship with the Creator. Because that relationship with God is the foundation and source of our moral strength to do his will. Without that relationship with God, especially after man fell into sin, we are now subject to the limitations of our human and selfish nature. Do you struggle with that every day? With our selfish nature. How many of you struggle with your selfish nature every day? That's the point. Even before man sinned, in that relationship with God was so essential to his fulfilling his calling to be a man. And more so after man became a sinner, the more we need God to enable us to overcome what pure human will can never overcome. How many of you try to change and you fail? Pure human will is no match to the corruption of our nature. It takes an external power from God to enable us to transcend our weaknesses and be able to do what only by God's strength we can do. That that is why the foundation of manhood is our relationship with God. No man can be greater than his walk with God. In that garden, God would come down and walk with a man. That is why... Micah 6 8 says, This is what God requires that you walk humbly with your God. That is the foundation. Okay? Many of men have struggled in their marriages, but it's so difficult to change the stubbornness of our hearts. When you when we are tempted with another woman because of dissatisfaction in our marriage, it's easy to get into an extramarital relationship it's very difficult to get out of it because once the affection has been established and sex has taken place the word of god says that when you join yourself with a woman you become one flesh with her whether she's your wife or another woman the bond is so deep it's very difficult just to separate that and just forget everything that happened that is not easy you understand this? That's why once you get into that, it's so difficult to get out. And even when you are sincere about your desire to go back to your wife, convicted by God, it will take more than your human ability to extricate yourself from the deep bond created with the woman. It will take God to change your heart. When you surrender yourself to God, Through Jesus Christ, you open the way for God to change what you cannot change inside of you. That is why our relationship with God is so indispensable to our fulfillment of our calling as men. Secondly, God gave him a job in the garden. You see, God gave the man a job before he gave him a wife. Okay? (laughs) So can you say to the person beside you, Responsibility first before romantic love. (laughs) The problem is that a lot of men in our society because of lack of proper mentoring by the father, who is so busy with his job, or even is a bad example to the son. You know, nobody taught us that you have to be responsible first before you get a woman. I have a special admiration for, you know, the Chinese culture among us. I'm not saying that it's perfect, okay? How many of you are Chinese here? Can you hands, please? Okay, thank God, okay? There you are supposed to establish a business before you think about marriage. I don't know if still still practice today. You have first to establish your income before you even think about getting married. Okay? That's good practice, right? Responsibility before privilege. So what did God do? He put money in the garden in order to work it and take care of it. And it's called a partnership because while God blesses the ground so it becomes productive and fruitful, that's privilege, God said you are free to eat from anything in the garden. But you still have to exercise the responsibility for the privilege you enjoy. And this is the second thing that God is teaching: what manhood is all about. Real manhood will not take privilege without its corresponding responsibility. A real man will not; he will refuse to enjoy privilege if he is not ready to take responsibility for that privilege. The problem is that we want to have the privilege without the responsibility. That is why we have so many single moms. So many teenage pregnant girls who prefer abortion because the guy just ran away. We want the privilege of marriage with our commitment to work at the marriage so that it becomes a happy one. But once you're not happy, you just pretend ex- to exit. Right? Can you say this with me? With much privilege comes much responsibility. Spider-Man. Okay? You know, sometimes I, when I see young people, of rich, you know, children of sons of rich people, boasting about their wild state-of-the-art car, I like to say to them, you know, stop taking pride in something you never sweated for. That's not being a man, that's being a boy. A boy wants privilege without responsibility. God said, this is a fruitful place. You have anything you need here, but you must take responsibility. I can just feed you if I want without you working, but I will never allow that. Because part of your manhood is that you take responsibility for every privilege you enjoy. Are you still here? And that means, are there singles here? Okay, Okay. thank you. Are there college students here? Praise God. Thank God for you college students. Listen to these college students. When you say, I love you to a girl, you must be ready to say, I will marry you. If you're not thinking of marriage, why did you say, I love you? For what purpose and for what end? Right? When your purpose is not clear, you end up with the wrong ones. Never say "I love you" to a girl if you're not willing to say in the next breath, "And if we really meant for each other, I'm committed to marry you." That is a real man, because he will never take the privilege of a romantic relationship without the corresponding responsibility. Do you agree? That is manhood according to God's design. Responsibility. And the third thing that God gave the man was there was contract rules to be paid. <laughs> you see, God's relationship with one man in the old language of the Bible is called a covenant relationship. Where there are stipulations and warnings. Just like an any treaty established by a king and a subject in ancient times. There are terms and conditions, and there are penalties for the breaking of the terms, right? God said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you are not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. There is a penalty for breaking the terms of the covenant. Okay? And God established the covenant rules in order to teach the man what true freedom is all about. Freedom without responsibility leads to abuse. As I always tell my children when they were growing to be teenagers, if you want me to give you more freedom to be with your friends and do your thing, show me greater responsibility in the home, in your studies, and in your promises. And when I see that you're very responsible, that you can be trusted, that your word can be trusted, I promise you I'll give you all the freedom you need. But not until then. You understand this. Okay? God gave man freedom. You are free to win. Wow. Thank God for the freedom. But, oh, that's a problem. The but. <laughs> but not this one. There is a limit to human freedom. Freedom is not the license to do as we wish. But rather the opportunity to do what is right. Let me repeat that. Freedom is not the license to do as we wish as men, but the opportunity to do what is right. The problem with Eliam and Eve, they use their freedom as an opportunity and a license to do as they please. And because of that, we all got into trouble. Do you understand that? As men, we must understand the limits of our freedom. Especially when you're married, your freedoms are quite narrow even more because now there is a commitment that must be honored amen usually uh, let me tell you as men our commitments define us our commitments define us because you have to be true to that commitment as a man because in the eyes of god the true measure of manhood is how you keep your promises that is why promise keepers america was established and it's called promise keepers because being a promise keeper is the essence of real manhood that once you release your word you must be sure to fulfill it regardless of the odds that you face in psalm chapter 15 verse 4 the psalmist defines the righteous man in these words he keeps his promise even when it hurts. This verse 4, Psalm 15. A righteous man is one who keeps his promise even when it hurts. Because he will not turn away from his promise because his word is his body. And Ed Cole, the author of the best-selling book man, uh, Maximize Manhood, said, Do not fulfill your promise to your child is to teach your child to lie. To not give your promise to your child is to teach your child to lie. You understand that? By God's grace, I am not perfect myself. I have made many broken promises. No man up here, whether your pastor, or not and say I have never been faithful to my wife. Because Jesus said if you look with lust at a woman you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. And can you tell me is there any man who has never looked at lust with another woman? Right. The discipline of fidelity begins with how we use our eyes and while it's looking during the day especially when you're away from your wife that is where integrity is being measured that's why job the most righteous man on earth in his time was very successful to the point that god endorsed him for his righteousness before the devil because he made a commitment that was the foundation of his integrity and that is in Job 31.1 when he said, I made a covenant with my eyes never to look at a girl with lust. That is the foundation of his integrity. If you keep yourself from lusting after a girl, you are building a strong foundation of integrity in your life. Because as men, pagdating dyan, walang santo-santo. Kahit si Haring David a man after God's own heart, even David, because he did not watch his eyes, his eyes fell off the roof and landed on a naked woman down there in a house, Sheba. Joseph was wiser. His master's wife kept her eyes on him, but he never laid eyes on her. And by the time that the woman started to seduce him and drug him to bed, come to bed with me, she was beautiful. If a beautiful woman, very sexy, very attractive seductive, drugs you to bed, what will you do? Jack! <laughs> <laughs> Did I experience seduction by a woman? Yes. Why is it my life? One of them was my student in a Bible school. She would love to be counselled, but I always kept my counseling in public. But I noticed that her words were quite seductive because, you know, sir, I don't know why I enjoy having relationships with married men because I had one before I became a Bible student. And I don't know why she's telling that to me. You know, sir, I really admire you. And on one occasion, she told me flat, sir, do you know when a girl likes you? She's a gorgeous girl. And I said to her, yes, I know. I know you like me very much, right? <laughs> she started one. <laughing. laughs> And I said you're attractive, but my wife is more beautiful. (laughs) You know what I did? Can I pray for you right now? (laughs) When I went home that afternoon, I told my wife about it. I said, Mahal, I'm struggling with a student in my and I need your help. I have not given her given in to her. But she looks nice. But I told her, You're not beautiful. Who is that girl? <laughs> so I told my wife, well, I identified the student. Tomorrow you can come with me I'll introduce you to her. So in the morning we was there. This is a Bible school. And so this girl came to me, hi, sir. <laughs> hi. Let me introduce to you my wife. And she was very, you know, a little scared. And then my wife told her, can we talk for a while? <laughs> uh, uh, yes, ma'am. And so they talked in a corner and I went to my class. And because my wife told me, you just leave us, I'll go home alone. And since that day, that girl never came meters uh, in front of me. The other side is, Joseph ran! Real men went no to run. You don't run from an enemy, you, can, you should run away from a girl. That's why in the Bible, whenever immorality is mentioned, the command always is, flee immorality. All other sins resist. But only one sin, you really run. Okay? The greater a man you are, the greater a runner you will be. (laughs) Integrity moral responsibility. Let me tell you this, our character defines our future success or failure. And our character is the sum total of our habits, that's our character. Let me tell you this, there is no major success or failure in life that happens overnight. Every major success is the product of many years of building the right habits and every major failure is the product of many years of building the wrong ones. If you don't deal with your habits now, one day your habits will deal with you. And as men, we have to maintain integrity and refuse to compromise with damaging habits that can later on affect an experience of success because that success will be short-lived. It takes ability to bring you to the top. But it takes character to keep you there. Because once you're on the top, you'll be exposed to all manner of temptations, and when you begin to feel you're a little God in your ministry, that is when authority begins to be abused. The young people become a favorite of a very successful pastor who allowed success to for let him forget who he is in the eyes of God. I have been a counselor for more than 30 years, and I have counseled many pastors who have fallen into adultery, fallen into immorality with young people in the church. And maybe some of you are struggling with that yourself. Let me tell you this. Of all the sins a man can commit, sexual immorality is the only sin that can desensitize your conscience faster than any sin. It's easy to get into sexual sin. It's so hard to get out of it. David was a man after God's own heart, but he never had a a feeling of conscience And going into Bathsheba and killing her husband to hide his sin until Nathan confronted him. And only then did he say, I have sinned. He never knew he was sinning because he was so desensitized because of immorality. Are you still here with me? Maintaining your integrity begins in your relationship with your wife. Integrity also begins in being faithful to the little things of your life. And refusing to compromise in the little things, because compromise in the little things desensitize you to the bigger ones. Are you still here? Compromise in little things will desensitize you to the bigger ones. That is why as men, we are called to integrity, because integrity will protect us. Integrity is our strength, our shield as men. Amen? And finally, compassion and social responsibility. It begins with your wife. Many of us men marry because we feel this woman is going to make me happy, right? Every time I interview a couple who wants to be wedded by me, my question is always this, why do you want to marry this man, and why woman do you want to marry a white man, do you want to marry this woman? I mean, there are so many women out there. And they say to the girl, there are so many men out there. Why are you marrying this one guy? And usually the answer is like this, well, because he's like this, and he's like this, and he's like this, and the guy says, oh, because she's like this, and she's like that, and she's like that, which means I marrying her because she makes me happy. Is that the reason why you married your wife? Because she makes you happy? Your marriage will not last for a lifetime. What if she's too longer making you happy? What happens? Right? <laughs> marriage is not about your happiness primarily. The answer I always wait for and is never given. That's why I have to lecture the couple. It's what I'm really here to hear is that you're choosing this girl or this choosing this man because I believe I can make him or her happy for the rest of my life. (coughs) That's the answer I'm waiting for because that is what love is. That is the foundation of marriage. My greatest concern is her happiness. And I'm willing to commit myself to make her happy for the rest of my life. That is the solid foundation of marriage that is sincere. Right, man? So let me ask you this morning before I close. Are you obsessed in making your wife happy? Or are you obsessed in being happy? especially when your wife is not around. <laughs> Real men we love their wives to the death. <coughs> In closing, let me share the words of Ricardo Montalban. Muigabri Matalba was a Mexican author who became the great lover boy of Hollywood. Once he was interviewed by the media, Mr. Montalban, you are the great lover boy image of Hollywood. Can you tell us what it means to be a true lover or a great lover? What is a great lover? And so Ricardo Montalban responded this way, and very shockingly because Ricardo Montalban grew up in a Mexican culture that believed and practiced machismo, the negative side of machismo. And he said this, A great lover is not a man, who goes from one woman to another because any dog in the street can do that. A real lover, a great lover is a man who can sustain the love of one woman her entire life. A great lover is a man who can keep a woman loving him for the rest of his life because he knows and is committed to the happiness of his wife for the rest of his life he said that he's a great lover can you say to the person beside you are you a great lover and i say this we better be because that's what it means to be a man according to god's design may god bless you all